Let's read together Joshua chapter 10, verses 28 through 43. In this last section of Joshua 10, we have the completion of Joshua's southern campaign in the conquest of Canaan. Joshua chapter 10, beginning at verse 28. On that day, Joshua took Makeda and struck it along with its king with the edge of the sword. He utterly destroyed them, all the people who were in it. He let none remain. He also did to the king of Makeda as he had done to the king of Jericho. Then Joshua passed from Makeda and all Israel with him to Libna, and they fought against Libna. And the Lord also delivered it and its king into the hand of Israel. He struck it and all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword. He let none remain in it, but did to its king as he had done to the king of Jericho. Then Joshua passed from Libna and all Israel with him to Lachish, or Lachish. And they encamped against it and fought against it. And the Lord delivered Lachish into the hand of Israel, who took it on the second day and struck it and all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword, according to all that he had done to Libna. Then Horam, king of Gezer, came up to help Lachish, and Joshua struck him and his people until he left him none remaining. From Lachish, Joshua passed to Eglon and all Israel with him, and they encamped against it and fought against it. They took it on that day and struck it with the edge of the sword. All the people who were in it he utterly destroyed that day, according to all that he had done to Lachish. So Joshua went up from Eglon and all Israel with him to Hebron, and they fought against it. And they took it and struck it with the edge of the sword. Its king, all its cities, and all the people who were in it, he left none remaining, according to all that he had done to Eglon, but utterly destroyed it and all the people who were in it. Then Joshua returned and all Israel with him to Debir, and they fought against it. And he took it and its king and all its cities. They struck them with the edge of the sword and utterly destroyed all the people who were in it. He left none remaining, as he had done to Hebron. So he did to Debir and its king, as he had done also to Libna and its king. So Joshua conquered all the land, the mountain country and the south, and the lowland, and the wilderness slopes, and all their kings, he left none remaining, but utterly destroyed all that breathed as the Lord God of Israel had commanded. And Joshua conquered them from Kadesh Barnea as far as Gaza, and all the country of Goshen, even as far as Gibeon. All these kings and their land Joshua took at one time, because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned, and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. Let's begin this last section of Joshua 10 with some background notes. Israel's conquest of Canaan was not an undisciplined takeover by a bunch of wild desert nomads running around like uncontrolled animals. Don't ever get that idea. Israel's conquest of Canaan was a well-planned military operation carried out by battle-hardened troops and directed by God himself. Now, when I say battle-hardened, you may be thinking that Jericho was the first battle that Israel fought, but that is not so. Jericho was the first battle fought on the west side of the Jordan River, but Israel had already fought a number of battles all up and down the east side of the Jordan River. Listen to what we read in Deuteronomy 3, 3 through 5. So the Lord our God also delivered into our hands Og king of Bashan, and we took all his cities at that time, 60 cities. All these cities were fortified with high walls, gates and bars, 
besides a great many rural towns. All of this was before Israel crossed the Jordan and marched around Jericho. So the Israeli army under Joshua was a well-oiled military machine. Now the military strategy for conquering the land of Canaan was pretty straightforward. Divide and conquer. First there would be a central campaign to divide. Then there would be a southern campaign and then a northern campaign to conquer. The battles of Jericho and Ai, or Ai, were the main part of the central campaign. The battle with the five kings who attacked Gibeon in the early part of chapter 10, that was the beginning of the southern campaign. Now here in the last section of chapter 10, we have the completion of the southern campaign. Now just one more background note before we go to our doctrinal teaching points. You will hear the names of Old Testament people and places pronounced in different ways. For example, in this chapter, is it Lachish or Lachish in verse 32? Is it Gezer or Gezer in verse 33? Is it Hebron, Hebron, or Hevron in verse 36? Well, it all depends on whether you go with the English pronunciation or pronounce the word as it sounds in Hebrew. But don't worry about it. Just pronounce it with authority and move on. Nobody will know the difference, all right? So let's move now to our doctrine or teaching points for this last section of Joshua chapter 10. Doctrinal point number one. Faithful warriors let nothing escape. Faithful warriors let nothing escape. Several times we read in this passage that Joshua completely conquered the pagan opposition. In verse 28, we read about the enemy at Makeda. In verse 30, we read about the enemy at Libna. In verse 32, we read about the enemy at Lachish. In verse 35, we read about the enemy at Eglon. In verse 37, we read about the enemy at Hebron. In verse 39, we read about the enemy at Debir. And in verse 40, we have the summary. So Joshua conquered all the land, the mountain country and the south, and the lowland, and the wilderness slopes, and all their kings. He left none remaining, but utterly destroyed all that breathed, as the Lord God of Israel had commanded. So this was all at the command of God, because the land and its inhabitants had become defiled with gross idolatry and immorality. Now God was judging and cleansing the land. Listen to the words of Leviticus 18, verses 24 through 27. After a list of gross sins is given, we read, Do not defile yourselves with any of these things, for by all these the nations are defiled, which I am casting out before you. For the land is defiled. Therefore I visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it, and the land vomits out its inhabitants. For all these abominations the men of the land have done who were before you, and thus the land is defiled. So we can see why God allowed and commanded all this killing. Now all of this, of course, has spiritual lessons for us. Remember, Joshua is a handbook of spiritual warfare for the Christian. All the enemy opposition in the book of Joshua represents and illustrates various forms of spiritual opposition that we face in our lives as believers. Now here's the point. In spiritual warfare, faithful warriors let nothing escape. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5, we read, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Notice, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Let me ask you this morning, is every thought you have captive to the obedience of Christ? Or have some thoughts escaped? Faithful warriors let nothing escape. You know, just a few weeks ago, a young man told me that he had read some material that was not pleasing to God, and now he could not control his thought life. No wonder. You can't put stuff in your mind and expect not to think about it. Don't fill your mind with trash. Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Faithful warriors don't play around with enemy forces. Faithful warriors let nothing escape. Doctrinal point number two. Faithful warriors return to Gilgal. Faithful warriors return to Gilgal. In verse 43, we read, then Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. Gilgal was Israel's base camp. Whenever they finished a major battle, they would return to Gilgal. Gilgal was where they had entered the land. Gilgal was where the reproach of Egypt had been rolled away. Gilgal was where they had set up the 12 stones from the riverbed where the ark had been to remind them of how God had brought them into the land. Gilgal was where they celebrated the Passover once again. Gilgal was where the new generation had been circumcised. Now in the spiritual picture that the Lord has given us here in Joshua, Gilgal represents the place of self-judgment and the place of spiritual strengthening for the believer. As Israel was physically circumcised at Gilgal, so we must practice spiritual circumcision we must continually apply the knife of God's word to the strong desires of our flesh or sinful natures. Spiritual circumcision is the death to self-principle. It is the judgment of self in the light of God's word. We must continually return to Gilgal, spiritually speaking. Faithful warriors return to Gilgal. As the children of Israel looked on that monument, of 12 stones that had been set up there on the bank of the Jordan at Gilgal. They were reminded of how God brought them into the land. It was only by God's grace that they had been brought out of Egypt and across the wilderness and into the land of promise. Without God's miracles of the parting of the Red Sea and the manna in the wilderness and the stopping up of the Jordan River, they would be nowhere, dead with no new life in the land. All this was remembered as Israel would continually return to their base camp at Gilgal. We must do the same, spiritually speaking. Only as we return to the base camp of Gilgal in the Christian life are we kept humble and spiritually strengthened. As we remember what God has done for us in saving us by his grace alone, and as we practice spiritual circumcision and judge ourselves, only then, are we truly humbled before God and able to go out and fight further spiritual battles in his strength? Only then can Christ truly live his life through us. 
Galatians 2.20 and returning to Gilgal go together, spiritually speaking. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Faithful warriors return to Gilgal. You know, every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we return to Gilgal. We are humbled as we judge ourselves and remember what the Lord has done for us by his marvelous grace. We are spiritually strengthened to go out and face the spiritual opposition in this world. Faithful warriors return to Gilgal. What about practical application? If God be for us, who can be against us? If God be for us, who can be against us? Answer, no one. Verse 42, all these kings in their land Joshua took at one time because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. In spiritual warfare, we don't have to fear the enemy. We just have to follow the Lord because he's fighting for us. And if God be for us, who can be against us? You know, just this last week, I was reading about a group of Christian teenagers. They call themselves the Joshua generation, and they meet every day around the flagpole to pray. They picked the name Joshua generation because they understand that the book of Joshua is about spiritual warfare, and they pray because they know if God before us, who can be against us?